anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think the video started right at anything. Set a timer. Good memory. <clears throat> yeah, the sound right here is phenomenal. So, Free Speech, Season 1, Episode 3. Uh, this is going to be something that other Patrick is a lot more knowledgeable than I am, but something that I think a lot of people could learn a lot about because this will be something that we will see integrated into our cities in the coming years. We don't know the exact time frame of how fast the projects are going to move, but we know that doing things in this way is going to really help us going forward. So... Um, Patrick, why don't you tell everyone a bit about what you study in school and what you've learned so far and how you see the shape of cities uh, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. I study spatial analysis, and a lot of what I've been applying that towards is the growth of smart cities and the rise of urbanization. We've seen a massive trend in the growth of cities and the growth of urban areas over the past uh, 50, 60 years. We saw a big movement in, the, uh, in Chicago, New York, with big urbanization projects that ended up actually being very poorly built and ended up separating people rather than bringing them together. We built highways that ran through cities and destroyed entire neighborhoods and segregated neighborhoods. And We built these um, projects of buildings that were supposed to bring people together but ended up creating spaces that were less collaborative and ended up getting totally demolished and all of those buildings just went to waste because we planned it poorly. And here's the biggest trend. China saw what we did and now they're doing it. They saw what we did, and they uh, copied it because they thought it worked, but that was a failed system. And now China's urbanizing incredibly quickly. They're building cities where nobody lives in them. These spaces called ghost towns. And it's a larger trend that humanity is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to need more space to live as the number of humans continues to grow. So how do you set it up in a way where people in the future will have enough resources to get by? Yes, because we have to share this space with the things that are producing our oxygen and the things that are making sure that we don't die a heat death from the sun. Have you ever heard of the book The City of Ember? Yeah, I feel like I read it back in third grade. Yeah, it's something you read in elementary school. But something I wish that they had you read later. So it's meant for kids, but the premise of it, I think, is beyond a childish lesson in that basically there's an entire village and they have complete blackness outside of their city. They have no idea um, what is beyond them, much like how humans just have Earth. And they have limited resources and the movie is basically the point where they start running out of resources. What are the effects of that? And it's madness, absolute madness. Um, eventually what you find out is that they were kind of living underground and that they didn't realize the entire world was above them. And I think the exact same thing with humans and going to other planets. But what it makes you realize is that on this planet, we have what we have. Nothing less, nothing more. And the consumerist practices that we have are going to get in the way from that. Not everyone can have a 20-acre plot of land with a mansion on it. We are going to have to figure out how to build our cities in a way that works for everyone, right? Yes. And one thing that one example of a way that we can really mess that up is 
in India we're seeing right now. A city, um, a city called Kerala uh, had an airport built within 100 meters of a river that often floods. So during monsoon season, not only is this airport near a river, but it's also lower in elevation than the river. So it flooded. Two months it's down. On right, top but of so, that, how, you know, that's an anecdote. How do we make it so that no one can build an airport without a, a river in close proximity? How do we make those systems where we start making decisions that are conscientious of the people that will be on this planet in the future? It's taking a global mentality of thinking, how do we connect all of these cities? But then really talking to the local people, asking what's important in this locality, what are the different forces that act on this place, and understanding that people at the end of the day are the thing that makes cities, not buildings, not buses, not trains, not roads, it's, it's the people. So to think about how people are using that space, how human beings are interacting and living in these spaces, and then trying to urbanize that space, how it can get urbanized. It's different for each place, and rather than just taking one thing that we found works for one place and trying to make that a stamp, we really do need to embrace the mentality of think globally, but act locally. Sure. Yeah, think in a way that doesn't get in the way of other people elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, kind of transitioning, what is green space? And for someone who, let's say, has heard nothing of what green space is, what could they take away from your understanding of it where they could ap- like apply value in their own life? Mm-hmm. Green space, to me, is any space that has vegetation growing in it. It, In a personal home sense, it could just be a house plant that dangles. Um, in an, a, a city urban sense, it is parks. It is sidewalks that are lawned with grasses. It is buildings that are covered in foliage and trying to include trees throughout. Green spaces take on different forms depending on the cities, but from a a city perspective, it's including city parks. It's trying to include nature while you're designing cities and trying to think about how you can build around the vegetation rather than destroying the vegetation to make space for... But, like, why? What are the advantages? Why would you do that? The advantages. So one of the, the big effects is green space on crime. Uh, so when you're building a lot of these parks and you're building a lot of these uh, industrial structures, you're not parks, you're building industrial structures, you're building playgrounds, you're building sidewalks, you're eliminating space for people to collaborate. So when you have a massive parking lot, it's a space where not a lot of people are walking around normally, especially at night, because nobody's gonna. there's no reason for people to be there. If you have a park, people might be laying there watching the stars at night. They may be walking their dog at night. There's a general presence of the community in some of these spaces when you make them a green space that makes it less likely for crime to occur. Also making space, yeah, making spaces that people interact in makes it just less likely for, for things that shouldn't be there, like theft. Um, it happens less likely just because people are there. There are more eyes. The community is just there watching. It's one of the things that they were actually talking about in uh, Robert Moses versus Jane Jacobs. Robert Moses was a big guy in Chicago, New York on urbanization, and he was all about just trying to make way for the roads, trying to make way for all the people. And Jane Jacobs saw that when these buildings got built, all of the people who were interacting, living on the sidewalks, watching other people pass, doing business, kids were playing in the streets, nobody did that in the urbanized city. Once once it got changed, because it was this guy who was sitting up at the top, looking down at the whole city, and he was like, roadway through here will make everything more efficient. It destroyed all of the communities instead, and made it so that the spaces that people had already built and they created weren't usable. Well, I mean, what... What I think of, especially with green space, is this. How often are you in a city where you could do a 360 and not see anything, anything that isn't man-made? And what is the effect of that on the way that we think? Do a 360 and not see anything man-made? Right, you look around and there's no grass. 
could see that in a lot of a lot of big cities. I feel like in in. But why? So from like, a personal standpoint, if I think of Seattle, I think if I turned around anywhere, I would see green space. I that's think what I'm saying. I think Seattle does a good good job of integrating green space. Okay, they're more progressive than a uh, Rust Belt. In Chicago, I can definitely think of some spots where I spin around and then there's nothing, and I could probably walk a couple block radius and still find nothing. Right. Probably same with New York. I've never been. So, first advantage cuts down on crime. What are the other reasons that someone might be a proponent of green space or tell their friends about it or think that it's something that the future generations of this planet deserve? Green space on our environment. Having plants in a space improves the air quality, and it also helps with our climate. Having green space on roofs of houses or having trees that provide shade make it so that heat doesn't penetrate as much. So our buildings get natural cooling. Our streets are naturally cooled because of the vegetation that's around it. And because all of those plants are taking the carbon dioxide that we breathe out 